Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Do you ever hear anyone say something so outlandish and insane uh, that it almost stops your heart and then they just move on nonchalantly without even uh, addressing it? I, Melanie and I, I don't know if you guys know, we got four kids. My youngest kid, Knox, is eight. He's in second grade. Melanie and I, my wife, we were at Knox's class. I think it was on Friday listening to Knox give a presentation on the praying mantis. And um, it was wonderful and moving and so on. But here's how they hook you. You don't, end, you don't realize that you're actually signing up to hear all the kids <laughs> give all the presentations on all the insects. And so there was one kid at a certain point. Uh, I mean, I, I had learned that day of the morpho uh, butterfly and the trapdoor spider and uh, the dung beetle and all this. And there's one kid's giving a presentation on the a, on a honeybee. And as he's just rattling off facts on the honeybee, he says, honeybees have two antennas, but they don't do anything with them. And then he just moves on. And honeybees are black and white and they live in hives and they lay eggs and they have a queen and so on. And I was, I was like, whoa, 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 time out, hold on. You can't just pull the pin out of that grenade and toss it in the middle of the room and just move on. You're saying they don't do it, they have antennas? First of all, it's antennae, you little punk. Second of all, you mean to tell me that those are just there for looks and they don't do anything? I verified this with a kindergartner and he said, no, they, they like smell stuff with them. And then I Googled it and he was right. They, they do do things indeed with them. But uh, there's an outlandish claim that, that Christianity makes. And I think it's maybe the most astounding teaching of the Christian faith. Here it is. That God, think about this, lives in us. Like Christianity 101 teaches that when you put your faith in Christ, the spirit of God comes and like actually takes up residence in you. And I just want you to think about the outlandish nature of that claim for just a moment. Like think about this, that the God whom even the, the, the heavens and the earth cannot contain would come and dwell in and with and through us. And sometimes I'm kind of blown away at the nonchalant manner. Christians will just throw that teaching out. They'll talk about this doctrine uh, and, and move on relatively unstirred. Uh, or, and it's like, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You're just going to casually mention uh, like that the God uh, who spoke the universe into existence lives in humans <laughs> and then just move on. And no, don't, don't breeze by that. Let's not, let's not be the B presentation here. Let's pause and talk about this. Let's think about it a little bit. Like if, if you've ever read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus showed a kind of power that is totally unparalleled. 
I mean, he's constantly healing the sick, uh, raising the dead. The, the, the devils or the evil spirits were subject to his voice. He, he, he was able to command the elements of creation. He could tell the wind and the waves and so on what to do. He, he miraculously multiplied bread. He, he taught with an authority that blew people's minds. They were like, we have never heard anyone teach like this before. He could reverse blindness. He could reverse paralysis. He could take someone that never heard a sound in their life and give them hearing. Uh, Jesus had a different kind of power. And then right before he ascends back into heaven, he promises that power, or at least a version of it, to us. And I got to be honest, like my average Tuesday afternoon doesn't really look or feel anything like that. I don't know, maybe it's you guys. Maybe you guys all got this thing figured out and I'm the only one who hasn't tapped into the, the power that God has available. But I feel a lot more ordinary in my day-to-day -day life than the very power that was uh, showed in the life of Jesus being shown in the life of, of, of me. I mean, so we got kind of a, a tension there, don't we? A kind of a conundrum. What, what do we make of this? Like, the, the, okay, the, this book right here claims that the God of extraordinary power lives in us, but frankly, we still feel pretty ordinary. What's up with that? Uh, what's the, we, we got this kind of problem. Like, as, I don't know, do you experience spiritual energy, spiritual potential, just living and bubbling up within you? Or are you a little bit more like me and uh, a bit more mindful of, say, your own wanderings and inabilities and weaknesses? That's what I uh, seem to experience most commonly. And I, I, I'm going to assume the same might be true of you. So according to the passage of Scripture we're going to read today, Jesus has pr promised us power. We're talking about a limitless, unparalleled power, an endless resource, uh, strength, uh, extraordinary help. But most weeks and years of our lives, I feel pretty ordinary. So, so what do we make of this? I, well, I want to read this passage, and then I, I want us to just swim around in it. I want us to pay close attention to what it's saying. And uh, my, my goal is I, I'm going to read this and then let's pray together that God would help us get this thing. And then look at it more, as we look at it more closely, my goal is that you would be more confident when you leave here, more confident in the Spirit's work in and through your life, regardless of your experience. Okay, so here it is, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing to Theophilus, he says, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave, this, he gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So let's pray about this, church. Lord, we hear right in this moment when right before you ascend back into heaven, Jesus, you, you told your followers that they would receive power, that the Holy Spirit would come into their lives and that would empower them to be witnesses all over the planet. And I gotta be honest, when I'm doing the dishes or my pickup gets a flat tire or my kid's having a hard day, I don't feel, Lord, like there's um, heavenly power surging through my veins. And so I got to assume that everyone else can feel that same dissonance. But I believe your word, Lord. We believe your word. So would you help us reconcile this, understand this, and would you help us to live it out in Jesus' name? Amen. So at this point, the disciples are thoroughly convinced of the resurrection. Like Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And in and, and, and all the ways that he had appeared to them and was interacting with them. Can we throw verse 3 up there? We see, uh, it says, after his suffering, that means after he died on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing Proofs. So there's absolutely no question in their mind anymore as to whether or not Jesus actually came back to life. And then it says, it says this, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what was he talking to them about during that time? And spoke about the kingdom of God. So he's appearing to them. He's interacting with, with them. He's showing them many convincing proofs that he's actually alive, actually a human body, actually resurrected. And here's what he's talking to them about. He's talking about God's kingdom. And then he goes on to talk to them also about the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, because of what Jesus had taught them about the kingdom, they are ready for uh, a lesson on the whole coming of the Holy Spirit. We can go to verse uh, 4. It says, on one occasion while he's eating with them, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. 
what I want you to do, I want you to wait for the gift that my father promised. When did the father promise that? That's in the Old Testament. Just like the Old Testament said, and also this gift that I've been talking to you about, you've heard me speak about, you've heard me teach about the coming advocate, the promised one, the spirit who's gonna come. Verse five, he says, for John baptized you with water. So when you're baptized with water, you're immersed in the water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll be immersed with, flooded by, saturated with the, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has been talking to them about the kingdom. And he's been talking to them about the arrival or the coming of the Spirit of God. And so uh, we can go to verse 6 now. And they, they gather around and they're ready to ask him a question. Because he, he's been talking about the kingdom and because of the Holy Spirit and everything he's been teaching them through the Old Testament, they're ready to ask what I think is a really good question. They can logically conclude that the like messianic era has finally arrived. They, they ask, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're, con- they're putting the pieces together because what Jesus had been teaching because Jesus had actually come back to life just like this, after he died, just like the scripture said he was going to. He came back to life just like the scripture said he was going to. He's ready to send the Holy Spirit just like the scripture said he was going to. And so they can rightly conclude that the salvation of Israel, like God's people, was finally here. And so they asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to set up the kingdom? Is it going to happen? Finally, and this is not a terrible question, but they're thinking too narrowly. The, the idea of the kingdom is correct. The scope of the idea, the scope of the kingdom they have in mind is too narrow. See, they're, they're probably still expecting like Jesus is gonna set up a new military and there's going to be kind of a new political order. There's new, there's new sheriff in town. There's a new kingdom. Uh, there's a new king, and he's going to rule things, and he's going to drive out the Roman armies and uh, those people that have been oppressing us and ruining our country, and he's going to restore national sovereignty to Israel. And Jesus is like, man, you guys are, you guys are still thinking about this zip code right here? I got a way bigger plan. And there's so much... Uh, in this passage, but I want you to see specifically three ways that Jesus changes their understanding of what he was going to do and how he was going to do it during the time between his ascension and his return. Okay? I want it with three things. First, first thing, I want you to see that Jesus, he first changes their understanding of God's program. I want you to hear this. They start off by saying, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And that's not a bad question. Go to verse seven here. It says, then uh, he said to them, this is how he responds. Listen, it's it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. Pause right there and linger on that. So Jesus are you going to set up the kingdom now? He doesn't, he doesn't correct them. He doesn't like backhand them. He doesn't get, he's like, you morons, that, you're still asking that. He doesn't correct them at all. He just says, guys, that, 
isn't your main concern. Is it now? Is the kingdom going to come now? And all he does is say, you know, the, 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 the little details of how all this thing's going to unroll and when it's going to happen, that's not your main concern. But, verse 8, here's what I want you to know. So, are you, are you going to do this? This is kind of cool what Jesus does here. He says, oh, don't, don't, don't get caught up in the, in the whole timeline of this thing. But, here's what I do want you to know. You will receive power. Are you going to do it now? Like, can we sit back and just watch you do it? Jesus kind of shows that God's got a different plan for the program. Here's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it through his people. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, At the beginning of what we read, Luke had said, in my first book, it's talking about the gospel of Luke. Talks about the whole uh, life and ministry and uh, death of, and resurrection of Jesus. He says, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's like, Jesus was just getting going. He's not done now. This is a continuation of his work. What is about to come? is a continuation of his very, very work. Here's how it's going to go. It's going to be through you. Second thing I want you to see, Jesus doesn't just change their understanding of God's program. He changes their understanding of God's power. He kind of moves them. In their mind, are are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? that's That's a pretty localized thought, isn't it? Pretty politicized in their scope like like are you going to finally take up power again and rule and reign and be the one who sets the laws and and you know decides you know how much taxes are going to be and stuff like this that's a really small power that's a that's a little subsect of of his actual power that's a one little drop it's one bubble in a boiling pot of all God's actual power and Jesus says no, 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 no. Power is going to work differently. It's not about it being passed through uh, a military or a government. But here's how power is going to work. You, verse 8, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You think about that? Jesus changes the understanding of power that it's going to actually be through the Spirit's empowerment of individuals. Like like the work I started, you're going to continue, and here's how it's going to go down. Remember last week, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a continuation, and this is how power is going to work. God wants his power to be diffused through his people, to be spread out into the world through his people. It's like those little grates that are blowing air through there and we're all hoping it cools it down in here a little bit more and it gets spread out into the room by that grate up there and the fan blowing and stuff like that. We're 
we are the diffusers of God's power. Like he wants to pour his power out. Like if it's going to come out a bottle and get spread all over the waffles like syrup, we get to be the bottle. Like God wants to pour his power through us. So Jesus changes their understanding of God's program. He changes their understanding of God's power. And the third thing I want you to see is that Jesus changes their understanding of God's purpose. And by that, I mean God's purpose in that plan with that power. Again, moving from political agenda to what? What's the purpose here? What's the goal? What's the reason for this empowerment? Verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. That was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem. Samaria, that's the, that's the area, uh, that's the region, a few, like, think Bears fans. That's like Illinois. They're kind of like us, but we don't like them, all right? The, uh, and then to the ends of the earth, the, the whole entire planet. Um, here's the purpose, though. The purpose for this power is that you be my witnesses, What's a witness? Like he doesn't say you'll be my attorneys. You're not, you're not gonna present a case that's orderly and uh, convincing in that way. A witness, says, a witness says, no, this is what I experienced. This is what I lived through. This is what I saw with my eyeballs and this is what I felt with my fingertips. This is what I smelled. These are the sounds around. This is a witness conveys what they have experienced. They testify or bear witness to what they've experienced. And Jesus says, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna receive power. And what's that power for? You can be my, be my witnesses. Right, the ends of the earth are gonna be reached by witnesses, not by attorneys. And so now that we've really deep dived into verse eight here, what on earth does that mean for us? We don't, we don't live in first century Palestine. We didn't walk with Jesus while he taught, right? Like we weren't in that room when he spoke those words. What does this mean for us? I mean, I, I think very similarly that as Jesus spoke these words to his people then, he would want to speak these words to his people now. I believe Jesus wants his people to know there is power available. And here's how it comes, through the Holy Spirit flooding into your life. Here's what it's for, it's for witnessing. Right, now I want you to think about this. Here's, I got two illustrations to kinda help, I don't know, just help get this a little bit more. The first illustration is about a lamp. The second one is about uh, going on a walk with my eight-year-old son. So there's three things you need for this lamp to work, right? Like, first of all, you need a, a, a power source. You need to, the power's gotta come from somewhere. The uh, second thing you need is some sort of ground or neutral, like it, it, an outlet. It, it, the power, it can't just go into the lamp and stop there. It has to flow through the lamp and go somewhere else. And then the third thing you need is you need a, you need a load. 
You need, like the power has to actually do something, right? So when you got all, 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 the, all those three, it'll, it'll, it'll light up. And similarly, if you want to have your life energized by the power of God, you need three things to be present. Like you got to be, you got to be plugged into the source. Think about that. You got, you've, you've got to be plugged into the source. You got to be connected to the one who can provide this power. You've got to be willing. How, how, do you be, how do we get connected to God? Well, you repent of your sin and you put your faith in Christ. Repent. That just means being willing and eager to turn from anything that dishonors God. It, it, mean, it doesn't mean that you be perfect. It means that your posture says, I don't want to keep chasing after anything that dishonors God. Like, I, I want to turn from all the stuff that dishonors God and, like, hurts other people. And so you've got to be willing and eager to do that. And then you've got to put your faith in Christ. You have to literally trust Jesus, like, that I can't save myself, I can't make myself a better person, and I sure enough can't climb up to heaven. I need you to do the work for me. You put your faith in Christ. I trust you. And then you've got to be having a relationship with God. Like, we, we don't just get our little, you know, cards stamped and say, okay, I'm good, I got my get out a hell free card and then move on with our lives. Like that's not why Jesus has saved us to bring us into an actual relationship with God where you literally talk to him. Like he's alive. He's an actual person. He invented the English language. He invented all language. He invented the tongue. He invented our brains and he loved us stinking millions of years before we even existed. Like, we got to have a relationship with him. How do you do that? You pray, you talk to him, you look to him for wisdom, advice, counsel, encouragement. We worship him, we gather with his people. We, we gather corporately like this. We also get together one-on-one, -on -one, groups of three, groups of four, and we encourage each other and we correct each other and we help each other follow Jesus. You eat a daily diet of his word, the daily bread, right? And we grow in community with others. Like, listen, y'all, we don't have a very long battery life on our own. We've got to stay plugged in to, to the source. Second, there must be an out, outlet. Like, in the same way, the power isn't designed to come to the lamp and stop there. God's power is not designed to come to us and stop here. Uh, God's power in me is not for me only. It's for you. My power, God, God's power in me is for you. Your power, God's power in you isn't for you only. It's for everyone else. It's for us. Like God's power flowing in you is not for you. It's for like the four-year-old. Like doesn't have two parents in the home. It's for the 14-year-old that's struggling, getting bullied at high school. It's for the 44-year-old that's like just lost his job and doesn't know what the heck to do. Like God's power for you is for the 84-year-old widow who's shut in her home and doesn't have community anymore and she can't make it to church and she can't make it to Bible study and who's gonna be there for her? You are. God's power in you is God's power through you. And it ain't for you. It's for us. And the only way to experience God's power is to experience it moving through you, right? And it's like the more you give away, the more he gives. 
It's kind of cool. Like we're meant to be filled with God's power like a pipe, not a bowl. A bowl you can just fill up and it'll stop there. A pipe, for it to be full, stuff's got to be always flowing through it. All right, third thing. Uh, you need to have, we need to have the right, the right load, right? Like the purpose. Like we are not clothed with power from on high. God, Jesus didn't say like, hey, you're going to receive power and you're going to climb the corporate ladder and have a better marriage and build a stronger family and upgrade your standard of living and, and evade all suffering in your life and never get cancer and fulfill all your dreams and achieve just all the status you need to feel significant. He didn't say that. That's not the purpose of his power. It's, his power is not even primarily to heal the sick or free the enslaved or feed the poor. We are clothed with power on how you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? That you will be my witnesses. God wants to give us his power so that we can carry the name of Christ into the lives of people who wouldn't otherwise hear it. We carry his name, man. God gives us power. In the way that this light bulb is supposed to give light into a room, God gives us power so that we can witness to the wonder and worth of Jesus. Like, y'all, I've experienced Jesus and he's changed my life and this is a big deal and you're missing out if you don't experience him too. We get to invite people into communion. We get to invite people to get plugged into the source. We get to bring people into communion with God. We get to invite people to taste a greater joy in Christ than they've ever tasted. We get to offer people a chance to turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ and be forgiven. It's pretty awesome stuff. I think about Paul's writing in uh, Romans chapter one. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why is he not ashamed of this message of Christ? Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation to all who believe. That's why he's not ashamed of it. Paul loves being a proclaimer of the gospel. Paul loves carrying the name of Christ. Why? Because he gets to be a witness. He gets to tell other people about Jesus and he's not ashamed because there's power that flows through Paul and right out his mouth and into the hearts of people and they get saved and they spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. It's good stuff. Now, if all three conditions are met, plugged into the source, there's a good outlet and uh, there's, a, there's a load, there's a purpose. If all three con- um, conditions are met, the intensity of the light will vary. Now, this is not a magic trick. I got Aaron back there and he's gonna work that thing, but uh, no, <laughs> no smoke and mirrors here. That light, the, the, the intensity of that light will vary based on the will and the work of the one who is himself the source. There are times in my life where I experience God's power burning bright and uh, there are other times when I feel like God's power in me is so dim, I wonder if the light's even on anymore. 
And when we read about these early believers, man, we see power surging through them uh, that was so intense. There's not enough light bulbs in the state of Wisconsin to adequately represent it. I mean, we're talking about healing and radical generosity and miracles and places being shaken and and wind and and fire and praising God in diverse languages and 3,000 people getting saved in one day. Like I've never experienced anything close (laughs) I've never experienced anything close to that. And I can wonder, is there something wrong with me? I don't, I don't think so. Granted, there are times I unscrew the light bulb. There are times when I, I go, oh man, I, pull, I gotta plug that. I gotta make sure she's plugged in here. D- d- definitely. But for the most part, I try to keep the bulb screwed in. I try to keep the thing plugged in. Like It's up to God to dial that power up or to dial it back according to what he's doing and what he wants to do. Um, And here's what I want you to get is that God doesn't always do the extraordinary. If he did, it would just be the ordinary, right? As far as we can see and what we can perceive, God doesn't always do the extraordinary. He does sometimes, but he doesn't always. And what I want you to hear is that there, there is an extraordinary side to the ordinary Christian life. Because even though we don't see the extraordinary stuff all the time, God is indeed at work. Even if we don't perceive it or feel it, or even, even if we don't believe it, he's at work. Even when the light bulb is dim, his power is still working through you. And in fact, that's how he usually works. Um, going on a walk with my eight-year-old son, Knox, helped me understand this. Knox is still at an age where if we're walking along and we kind of bump into each other, uh, his hand automatically just goes up, you know, and I reach down and take it and we, we walk hand in hand. Now, like if I tried that with one of my teenage sons, it wouldn't go so well. <laughs> but Knox is still at the age where th- that makes sense and we walk and and hold hands, and there's nothing extraordinary. As we walk along, he's just calm, he's safe, steady, um, you know, he's free. He's just kind of full of wonder and talking about whatever, he just starts talking about whatever comes to his brain. You know, nothing extraordinary. Uh, but then there are uh, on occasion where maybe at one point in that walk, I spontaneously scoop him up and sc- give him a squeeze and I put my beard right in that spot where his neck meets his chin and I give him some kisses and I, and I say, I love you, my son. And, and he goes, I love you so much, daddy. <laughs> you know, in that moment, if his brain were a bundle of Christmas lights, they would just be surging, you know, it, uh, fuses would be bl- popping, you know. Um, It's not always like that. It is sometimes, but not usually. And I want to say that God usually works through that ordinary, steady, hand-in-hand walk with his child. He usually, it's just going on a walk, and it's it's the father and his child, and he's just going on a walk with his kid. God usually works through that. There are times when it's 
When the light's brighter, times when it's dimmer, but God usually works through the ordinary. So be content to continue that steady, ordinary walk hand in hand with the Lord. Be desirous that he, on occasion, dial the power up and do something big, but be content if, if he doesn't. My challenge to you, church, is that that you would connect with the source, that you would seek his empowerment. Say, God, I want to know you, I want to love you, and I want you to work through me, but not for me, for people around me. And specifically, that I might carry the name of Christ. God, could I be your witness? I want to point to the believer's prayer in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, they, they live this out. They, they, persecution starts happening. They start getting threatened to be beaten and punished and they're beaten and they're getting thrown in jail. And here's what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and here's what we want from you. Would you enable or empower your servants to speak your word with great boldness? Can we be witnesses? All right, we're just going to keep being witnesses. And here's what we want you to do. Would you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders and through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? Would you, God, we're going to just stay faithful and be your witnesses. And we just trust that you're going to do the big stuff when you want. And after that, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There's nothing the Holy Spirit is happier to do in you than help you make much of Jesus. Make that your goal and trust God for the power. Would you stand if you're able now? The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites, God's people. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on my people and I will bless them. May God richly bless you. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.